I say to you the name, Alger Hiss. What's that mean? Nothing. Nothing. Doesn't ring a bell. Doesn't ring any bell at all. Nothing. Uh, Alger Hiss, it doesn't ring a bell. Mark. No, I'm not familiar with that name at all. No. How old would you be about that? 25. 25. The name Alger Hiss. I don't know. It, it vaguely means something political to me. But that's all. Yes. No, do you hear that? If I say to you, Horatio Alger? <laughs> oh, no. No. no, what I was going to say is I think I've read the person's name in the news lately, but I, I can't, I can't yeah. remember exactly. You don't recall. How old are you? 26. Alger Hiss, what's that name? Dirty commie spy. That's what I've always thought about yeah. him. Uh, when did you, how did you know, how did you? As a kid, he was the prototype of, of the sort of undercover sneaky person. You know, you got to be careful not to trust anybody because yeah. they're like him. People who look like him. Yeah. Do you know what he looks like? He was kind of nice looking, as I recall. Didn't he have a mustache? No. I don't know who did it or not. But vaguely, what do you think he looked like, if you remember? He was medium height, maybe 5'10". I thought he had kind of gray hair, as I recall. Maybe it's just from seeing his pictures in the newspaper that he looked like that. But I was very young at yeah. the time. Oh, well, I didn't even know how now. What does it mean to you? The same thing. Yeah. Actually. I, I sort of get him mixed up with that woman. What was her name? Rosenberg. Uh, they were all sort of around the same time, it seemed to me. The Rosenberg. In my mind, yeah. Well, who, what happened to them? Do you know? I don't know. What happened to them? I the just Rosenberg? remember they had a trial. It was a big thing in the newspapers. Do you know what happened to them? No. Did they get killed? <laughs> I can't remember. I was just, you know, in grammar school. Then. Uh huh. But as the names come up today. Uh, these are just the real evil people that were exposed. That's the way it is today. You read nothing further about them. No, no. Uh, to me, it brings up the witch hunting of the 50s. I think uh, he, was, uh, he was a lower echelon, maybe not a clerk, but someone in the State Department who I, I have the feeling was, was uh, framed largely because he was black and liberal. Because he was and black and liberal? Yeah. Know? And I know that Nixon was involved in it and came off with a dirty face. And I don't remember too much, I don't know too much else about it. Except that his, his name is linked with McCarthyism. Yeah. And uh, generally that he was a scapegoat. Uh, what does he look like? Do you remember? Uh, I remember he was very light. I didn't know he was black until I'd read it. So that's all. You, yeah. But that's about it. Yeah. What did you read that he was, that he was black? I don't know. Life magazine, maybe? But that's about it. I remember there was a typewriter that was used to incriminate him, and it wasn't, uh, it was perhaps circumstantial evidence, but that's about all I know. Any it, other it was with a red scare, uh -huh. and that's about it. Do you recall any other name connected with his? No. Nixon. No. McCarthy. Does the name Whitaker Chambers mean anything yeah, to you? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, is he a journalist who was red-baiting at the time? Remember the nature of his, the circumstances no. involving Whitaker uh -uh. Chambers? No. I just remember that the whole thing was kind of a specious argument. But that, that's that. So when you hear the name Alger Hiss today, what is the first reaction? 
I, I think of it as being sort of a government frame-up trying to find a scapegoat. Well, at first, I, it took me a minute, and this is the truth. I, I, I thought, yeah, the name's familiar, and then I, I, I think he, he was um, arrested as a spy, I think, in New York, a uh, big ringleader or something, supposedly, because I remember he looked like anybody else, very average. The name hissed today, would evoke what? I don't know. Um, he, he was a, a little, you know, I don't remember. what My memories of him mm. come from the, a few months ago, they had on, on TV the, the movie, uh, the FBI story. Aha. Uh -huh. And he was mentioned he in was that. He was mentioned in there. So that's it. So we uh, hear the name today, what do you think of? I think, yeah. Nothing in particular. I'm going to try some of another generation. Yeah, it, it, it mean, it's an unpleasant memory, and uh, it has to do with the McCarthy period, and uh, he was suspected, I think, of being a spy. And it, it really uh, is an unpleasant memory. You don't remember the case? Was, it a, was there a case involving him, you recall? Yeah, well, there was a lot, yeah. a big to-do. You recall? That's about all no. I can yeah. remember. When you hear the name today, what is the emotion evoked? Suspicion. <laughs> the name sounds familiar, but I don't remember what he did. I mean, I've heard about him. Yeah. Well, is any particular feeling when you hear the name? Um, let's see. What? I know it's not a good name. I mean, it isn't... Uh, but from the 50s, that's about yeah. all I remember. I was just thinking, was he one of one, was he one of the prisoners uh, that was released? Possibly, no. No. I'm wrong. No. All right. You mean you, you might have one of the POWs? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. No. Well, I remember the name. Something back in the 50s or so. Something about being convicted as a spy for giving a I think it was atomic secrets to Russia or something like that. But I don't remember much about it because I was in a small town. We just took it for granted that was it. And we didn't think any more of it. I mean, the guy's a commie or something, and that was it. That's all I remember. And I remember uh, McCarthy was something to do with her in that era, anyway. And then he went into some kind of communist hunting hunting, you know, for everybody it was slight an association or something. And uh, I was very agreeable at the time. I came from a small town, it was very, uh, very conservative. Boy, go get them, you know. And I remember very little. I mean, the reason I, you know, remember very much, we just took it for granted. Anything they did was it, you know. They found a communist or giving us but give them the business, that's it. And I agreed with a lot of things until I found out a little bit about life. I mean, when, when MacArthur was kicked out of Korea, you know, I agreed with MacArthur, you know. But I found out a little bit more about what well, isn't it? We were just not fed anything but uh, what they wanted us to. So if I say the name Alger Hiss to you now, what would it mean emotionally? Well, I have to think now it's... Uh, might be substantially different because I see things happening today where if you don't agree with somebody, uh, 
It can be either somebody tries to discredit you or you don't get anywhere. You're beating your head against a wall. You don't get any, You don't know why. And uh, if you don't agree with the system, uh, you just don't get anywhere. I've learned a lot about life since those days in that little town. Well, it's very famous. I mean, it's very famous. Well, in what way? Well, he was convicted of perjury in, in connection with with Whitaker Chambers, or on the witness of Whitaker Chambers, in God, I don't know, fifty, fifty-one, something like that, and. And well, and you know, proclaimed his innocence ever since. That's all. You know, it's odd. you remember how it began, or the basis of it. Well, I mean, the the pumpkin papers and things oh, like no, that. I'm 26. 26. If I say to you the name, Alger Hiss, what does that mean? He was a communist something. <laughs> That's about it. I know he was like the communist spy or something, but I have. I don't recall much about him or what time. I think you don't know when or probably go back to the fifties because I don't really remember yeah. much about him. Yeah. Well, how did you get the idea that he was that? I've heard oh, because I've heard that name many times. I guess it's through school or something like that. Yeah. Do you remember why you heard the name or no? Well, obviously in school. If I say the name Alger Hiss to you, what does that mean? I think first of uh, the then Senator Nixon, who, in my impression. <clears throat> largely made his career yelling about Alger Hiss being a communist. Hiss, I believe, worked in the State Department, and this would have been about 1948. Uh, as close as I can get. No, you're, I would guess, late 40s, something like that, mid-40s. Or early 50s. I remember the name very much. Time of the Julius Rosenberg trial, I believe. He was involved, uh, whether he was involved or not, I really don't don't remember that much about it, but I think he got a, bit, a lot of bad publicity at the time. And I think McCarthyism was involved at that time, and I think that was part of the reason the man got the uh, publicity he got. Am I right? Or do I recall well enough? What do you think? Uh, good enough, yeah. Do you, so what's your emotion? What is your feeling now when you hear the name? Nothing bad at all, really. Uh, at the time, I think at the time I may have, but I don't think I do today. So you mentioned McCarthyism, that's interesting. Uh, I think that was at the time when lots of people got some bad publicity, whether they were necessarily uh, bad or not, I don't know. Yeah. Now, if I say a name to you, your first reaction, Alger Hiss. Richard Nixon. <laughs> okay, why, why'd yeah. you say that? It, to me, is back in the uh, McCarthy era. Do you recall anything about Very it? Very little. Very little. Was there? I just went to see um, the case of Oppenheimer, the Goodman, which uh, filled in that. I didn't know about that. So. Was there a case involving Alger Hiss? There was, but I can't tell you much about it. No. Any? Why did you associate Nixon with it? Why was Nixon? That was that whole era. Why I did, I don't know. I think it's. My reaction after seeing the Oppenheimer thing was that the thing is the whole attitude is still prevalent. At the, the time, the suspicion and the yeah. the accusing and the uh, and it was what around the time of McCarthy and pretty good. he was um, 
He wasn't with Anna Rosenberg, was he? That's a different thing. With who? The Rosenbergs. And what's the first name you mentioned? Anna. Who was Anna Rosenberg? She was tried as uh, giving away secrets to the Russians, as I remember. I'm not positive. Anna Rose. You said Anna. Wasn't it? That's interesting. It was Ethel, but that's all right. Ethel. Okay. That's okay. Anna was uh, a member of Roosevelt's uh, New Deal administration. Uh, work. That's interesting. Uh, do you know what happened to? Uh, no. Ethel Rosenberg. Mm-mm. You don't recall? I really don't. There was a case involving Rosenberg. Is that right? Mm-hmm. As far as, well, what these things were when I I grew up in a I grew up very sheltered and very uh, much in the conservative, medium-sized town in the Midwest, and these people did not seem real at all. Meaning Alger Hiss yeah. or Ethel Rosenberg. Wait, just a second. Sorry. Or, uh, or J. Robert Oppenheimer. Didn't seem real. They did not seem real at all. And I went to a private college that was very conservative, and I started to learn about the world and what had happened when I started to work for a newspaper. So. Well, Incred- I mean, I'm embarrassed as hell about no, this. No, no, no. Because that's really a void it's not in my you knowledge. should be embarrassed. But rather, this is my editorial now, after having many voices, uh-huh. the nature of the media and what they've done to us. Who is Elger Hiss? Is that an author? Who is Alger Hiss? Is that an author? Voices you've been hearing, and I'm sitting opposite. The hero, the villain of these voices, Alger Hiss, is seated here. He is just, uh, a book has been republished, a book he wrote several years ago, his reflections concerning his case and his conviction in the court of public opinion, Harper Colophon Books. Alger Hiss, you're seated here right now, and you're smiling, and maybe you're sad or happy in hearing these thoughts, your reflections. Well, you've just said that you thought the media were largely responsible. I noticed several of the people who spoke spoke of their schooling as responsible. Maybe it's not easy to separate the media from the schools, uh, but uh, I think our schooling for many, many years on all important issues, I'm not referring to myself as important, but on the Cold War, on the origins of what Eisenhower called the military-industrial complex and what it stood for, I think our schooling was very deficient. It's been a big change. I think young people today who are in college, who have recently been to college, all over the country, small colleges as well as big colleges, have a very different, more involved, and more, I think, accurate sense of what's going on. I was thinking as you talked, you heard a variety of voices. There was some humorous one. I'm thinking also about what history and memory does and the distortion of history and sensationalism. Like one thought you were black. I thought that was an honor. During the New Deal, people thought I was Jewish and I was pleased (laughs) to have that. I take it you are, if I may just say, Al just is of an old, old wasp family. I'm a wasp. But it's interesting. But all Southerners probably have some Negro blood, so mm-hmm. I hope that maybe some of that. Are you Southern originally? Yes, Maryland. Maryland, yeah. border state. And someone, I'm thinking of other thoughts. One kid thought, was it, see, is he one of the POWs? That was an interesting 
That was an interesting yeah. time switch, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I suppose what that indicates is that any name that is read about, one of them said all the people mentioned Oppenheimer, mentioned me, were unreal, mentioned the Rosenbergs. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that a name which is in the press or on the radio or on television must cause great confusion. Anna Rosenberg got mixed with Ethel mm-hmm. Rosenberg. Uh, and Anna and Rosenberg was a member of uh, she Roosevelt. She definitely was part of Roosevelt's yeah. sub-cabinet, yeah. a very important New Dealer, mm-hmm. and still a very vigorous mm-hmm. lady. She's now married to Paul Hoffman, mm-hmm. the man who started the whole uh, UN mm-hmm. program for underdeveloped countries. This is Paul Hoffman, the industrialist. Used to be with yeah. the Studebaker Corporation. It's interesting. But you're saying something now, perhaps maybe the key will come to you now in the case and to the name of Nixon. Come up. We'll come to that in a moment. But it's interesting is you spoke of names in the news. The fact is you were, for better or for worse, a celebrity. This is the point, you see. This is what we're talking about, aren't we? Names, the admixture, everything better, worse. The media did something. We'll come in a moment to the morality or amorality of it. Yes, I think that's very true. I think the media feeds on sensation, and it feeds on names that can be ballyhooed, uh, whether they are in uh, acting. Uh, just think of the names that these young people would have known from having gone to motion pictures. If mm-hmm. you'd asked them some motion picture names, they'd have known them. Incidentally, one said he remembered you, he didn't know where, but he <coughs> saw you on... Obviously, the Ephraim Zimbalist FBI show. See, that too, the media. That's quite true. When I was in jail, the FBI story was one of the radio programs that was permitted to come in. We had, I think, two, two channels. One had things like the FBI story, and the other had hillbilly music. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, the FBI was a big media merchant. You know what we have to do now, Mr. Hiss, Alger Hiss? We have to go back now to beginnings, and it's your book. This is sort of a preface. I call it a sad, funny, serio-comic, tragic. One girl didn't know what happened to the Rosenbergs. Were they killed? Were they not? Does it matter? We come now to the break and continuity, what's happened to young people, old people, fears. One of the older persons said, am I right? Am I right? He wanted approval, too, you see. So now we come to you, Alger Hiss. You said jail. We have to come back to beginnings. Uh, the book, may I just suggest, Harper Colophon, they republished this book. It came out, first came out, your thoughts about it. There were many books, one by Alastair Cook, one a wholly different one by an investigative reporter, Fred Cook, right. and uh, a wide variety. And this is Alger has his own thoughts, transcripts, memories, feelings about the trial, and it's called In the Court of Public Opinion, and it's available now. But we start with you, how it began, yourself. Who are you? First of all, the job you had, and what you did. You you were once a secretary for Mr. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. Right. The first year out of law school, I served him. Was Harvard? Yes, I went to Harvard Law School. I'm thinking now, in view of what we just heard, many listeners may too have big gaps and voids through no fault of their own. But we start at the beginning. And well, the case I must say, I've recently been shocked that people didn't know the name Oliver Wendell Holmes. Mm-hmm. People didn't even recognize his photograph, uh, which was a shock to me. He was a very handsome man all his life. One of the astonishing things about him was that in his lifetime and that of his immediate forebears, he spanned the history of our country. 
he told me of hearing at his grandmother's knee of her watching the British enter Boston. And his house on Beacon Hill, his family house, was used by Lord Howe as the British headquarters. Justice Holmes was wounded three times in the Civil War seriously, once left for dead, became a professor at the Harvard Law School, a great writer on the law before that. And he wrote a seminal book called The Common Law. Then he became a judge in the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court and Chief Justice, and then he went to Washington, was appointed by Theodore Roosevelt as a Justice of the Supreme Court, and was there until the 30s when he retired. Astonishing. So you were secretary for Olive Wendell Holmes, who spanned the history of our country. It was once said of uh, an editor, Malcolm Barnes, who edited for Alan Unwin, spoke of Bertrand Russell as having a span through his life and that of his grandfather, we knew, from Napoleon to leading the young people in the older mast on anti-bomb march. Isn't that amazing? Yes. I thought of Bertrand Russell and of Olive Wendell Holmes, right. that span. Well, they both lived to be very old men. Holmes mm -hmm. was just short of 95. So you obviously had very auspicious beginnings. You were secretary of Olive Wendell Holmes, and then you were a member of Roosevelt's. I was one party. of the young New Dealers who went down. First I practiced law for a while in Boston and then in New York, and then when the New Deal started, I came down very early, as many other young people did. And you were the Andy Alta, we'll come to that Later, later. And yes. Dumbarton Oaks, too? Yes. Dealing yes. Dumbarton Oaks through the monetary matters. Dumbarton, no, no, you may be mixing it with Bretton, Bretton Woods. Bretton Woods, I am. Here am I in my you, memory, so there it goes. So why? The Dumbarton Oaks was the preliminary to the San Francisco Conference where the United Nations Charter was adopted. At Dumbarton Oaks, the charter was roughed out, was drafted. Uh, they were called conversations, not a real conference. The British, the Russians, and the Americans met, and then later the Chinese, and the Americans, and the British. So you had something to do then with the helping in the charter of the United Nations? Yes, in a, in a minor way, modest way. And then this is Algiers who spent time in jail. So now we come to Roosevelt died, and something known as the Cold War began. Quite right, almost immediately. Now, in the meantime, you, honored, became head of the Carnegie... Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. What was the nature of that job? Well, I was the third president of an institution that Mr. Carnegie had set up to further the cause of peace. He'd always been interested in peace. He gave funds for the Hague uh, Palace for the Court of International Justice, the one that was known as the Hague Court of International Arbitration. And he gave a substantial sum of money in those days, about $10 million, for a foundation, the Carnegie Endowment, who main purpose was to be the exploration of avenues of peace. When I was asked by John Foster Dulles if I would like to... It was John Foster Dulles yes, who asked you. He, he was the mm -hmm. chairman of the board. And he asked me if I would consider being president. I was about to leave the State Department at that time anyway. And I said on condition that their new emphasis would be on the United Nations because of my interest in it. And he and the board particularly a committee that interrogated me, Mr. John W. Davis and Mr. Wadsworth. Of the this should be John W. Davis, who was the presidential candidate right. 
of the Democrats in 1924 against Calvin Coolidge. Great man. And they agreed that that was an important (coughs) continuation of Mr. Carnegie's purposes. And so when I moved in as president, uh, this became our main activity, and to a large extent they have continued it ever since. Well, this is your life thus far. Then your book begins, this book, that I hold in my hand, if I may paraphrase (laughs) or quote uh, the late senator from Appleton, Wisconsin, I hold in my hand Alger Hiss's book on the Court of Public Opinion. And it begins on a certain day that altered your life, and I suspect the lives of millions of us, and I suspect particularly the life of Richard Nixon, too. August 1948. August 3rd, I think, wasn't it, It it, it begins living in New York City. Why don't you sort of recount it in your way as we're seated here right now? There had been some sensational hearings uh, before the House Un-American Activities Committee, as it was then called. I think it's called the House Internal Security Committee now. By a woman named Bentley. She attacked various government officials, said they had been communists. Then a man named Whitaker Chambers appeared. And I think he appeared on August 3rd, 1948, at the height of Mr. Truman's campaign for re-election. Obviously, the hearings had a great deal to do with politics. At the time, I didn't think of that. I merely learned from newspaper men calling me at my office that Whitaker Chambers had said that I was a communist, that he had been, and that he'd known me as a communist. I denied it and then immediately asked the committee if I could appear before them in order to deny it officially and under oath, and that was the beginning. Now the question is Whitaker Chambers, and now we come to one of the, in a perverse sort of way, a fascinating, (laughs) if one is reading Craft Evening or whatever, I'm just coming to, we come to, um, who's Whitaker Chambers? I'm afraid I don't know enough about him to answer that authoritatively, though I think another book is coming out very shortly by somebody who's done a great deal of research on his life. I now know that he was born, I think, in Philadelphia. He was a man a few years older than I. He went to Columbia. Before that, he went briefly to Williams and had some kind of a religious, I would suspect, uh, pose, uh, anyway, a religious disinclination to stay at Williams. Went to Columbia, where he knew a great many people who later became quite well-known, was a student, among others, of Mark Van Doren. And after disappearing from the public scene, got a job with Time magazine when Harry Luce was the head of Time. You call him Harry Luce, that's interesting. Well, my wife had worked for Time magazine, and she knew him quite well, and so I mm-hmm. afraid that I didn't know him mm-hmm. myself well enough to call him that, but. Mm-hmm. He was, he was known as Harry Luce mm-hmm. by a great many people. And then Chambers, who, again, I learned later, had been famous around Time magazine for being the expert on communism, on Russia, on foreign affairs. And uh, I should put expert in commas if I were writing it, mm-hmm. because most knowledgeable people thought that his accounts were... Um, 
not only tendentious, but sensational and imaginative. And, uh, anyway, they pleased Mr. Luce. And then he appeared as a witness before the House Committee. Why, and this is one of the mysteries, isn't it, Ed? Why he picked on you? Well, I wasn't the first. Uh, he, some years before, talking to Malcolm Cowley, uh, a, an author and a writer. Very excellent uh, literary critic. Had literary told Cowley while they were lunching together that he, Chambers, knew all about communism, and that Francis B. Sayre, who incidentally had been my chief in the State Department, the State Department when I first went in and during the days that Chambers was talking about, was the head of a communist cell in the State Department. Malcolm Cowley, incredulous, said, you don't mean Francis Sayre, President Wilson's son-in-law? And Chambers said, oh, yes, he did. Now, whether Chambers then backed off after having tried that out, but uh, all the papers that Chambers introduced in making charges against me could, if he'd been brash enough to make such a charge, have been used to try to incriminate Mr. Sayre because they came to Mr. Sayre's office. They didn't come to me personally. They came to Mr. Sayre where I was working. Talking to Aldry Hiss right now, and the book is in the Court of Public Opinion, his book, and uh, he has not yet, you had not, you know who Whitaker Chambers was? You haven't been confronted with him yet. But in the meantime, before you even faced, you asked to see Whitaker Chambers. Yes, I, I asked, asked if he were present. But in the meantime, the headlines were immediately there. The, uh, it was Munt, for one, and John Rankin yes. of Mississippi were headlining and Mr. the dangers of Alger Hiss. Mr. A. Bear, who's now chairman of the House Military Affairs Committee. In the meantime, the papers had now all picked it up, and the headlines were right. that you were pretty much a dangerous... They were, they were being quoted as you being a very dangerous man, and you had not yet met That's quite the true. man who accused The name meant nothing to me. I'd never heard of Whitaker yeah. Chambers. Now, I asked if he were there and was told no, It'll be arranged. You'll have a chance to meet him. You asked the House Unarmed Activities Committee. Yes, when of I was which appearing a public. young member was Richard Nixon. Nixon was on the committee. Yeah. We'll pause just for a moment, and we'll return to Alger Hiss and his reflections. Resuming the conversation with Alger Hiss, a name that is very familiar to many, but strangely enough unfamiliar to many, the nature of history, continuity in the world, and uh, he's visiting at the moment because of the republication, it's in paperback, of this book that it seems to me if we are to maintain our sanity or regain our sanity, you know a little about history and deceit, dissemblance, and hysteria, uh, his book in the court of public opinion might be worth reading. The word public opinion, by the way, is the title in the court of public opinion. That's a significant you title, isn't it? How I chose it? Why? It was partly ironical. The House Committee, which was anything but a real court, used to boast that their unfair proceedings were a kind of court because they relied on publicity and uh, public notoriety. And so they referred to the fact that they considered themselves a court of public opinion since I believed, I thought, more strongly in the wisdom of the public than they did, really, I felt that 
when I got out of jail and wanted to write about my case, the proper uh, forum was a real court of public opinion, namely the public, mm -hmm. for whom one could write a book mm -hmm. without the publicity aids that the committee had, but just writing the story of what the evidence was, what the facts were, yeah. how it happened. So we return now to this, what seemed to have been a private matter, that is, they were, they, they, you were public, headlines about you, you had denied the accusation of Whitaker Chambers, the man whom you did not recognize or know. You asked to see him and meet him. Yes. And now we come to a name, George Crosley. And we go back years now, don't we, to the Nye Committee. Suppose you recount that, Mr. Hiss. The Nye Committee, which I'm afraid many of the young people you spoke to, spoke about, spoke with, also wouldn't know. During the early days of the New Deal, Senator Nye of North Dakota formed a congressional committee to investigate the munitions industry. He had quite a distinguished committee. Senator Vandenberg was on it. Senator Pope, who later became one of the officials, one of the directors of TVA. Senator Bone, Homer Bone, who became a federal judge, still is on the West Coast. And their task was to investigate the relationship between big munitions committees and, uh, to use a phrase that one of them actually used in a letter, whether they fomented wars. One of the letters that was produced was of a man who accused other people of fomenting peace. Uh, also, we went into the issue of whether uh, the big munitions companies got extortionate profits from the government particularly in time of war. So we We're went talking back now about the 34, 35. Yes, but we also went back into the history of World War I mm -hmm. to see what DuPont and some of the other big companies had done then. We both examined what the munitions companies had done in time of war and what they were doing in time of peace in the 30s. Some of the airplane companies, some of the uh, companies that made guns, ammunition, and so on. And we found that there were close connections with the big similar institutions abroad, like Beaufort's in Sweden, Schneider Crusoe in France, uh, comparable companies in Czechoslovakia, and really all over the world. They, they had sort of a cartel. Anyway, that was a rather famous series of hearings. And I was lent by my department, then the Department of Agriculture, where I first join the New Deal, as counsel, because I had been trained as a lawyer. The committee had very, very few people on the staff and not much in the way of funds, but uh, they did borrow officials from the government. And since on the committee were several members of the Agricultural Committee of the Senate, Secretary Wallace, and they asked for my services, lent me to them, and I tried to do two jobs at once, mm -hmm. as their counsel and doing my and it was job. during that time you were living in Washington, and then you ran into someone. Now you're, now you're trying to figure out who this guy who accused this you This is how I there. first met yeah. a man named Crosley. Mm -hmm. I met many, many people. It was my duty mm -hmm. to talk to those who were writing books, lectures, newspaper men, because the committee wanted publicity about its efforts. And one of the people who called on me was and gave the name of George Crosley. He said he was writing an article I understood for the American magazine about the committee. And so I saw him 
Oh, a number of times. We had lunch together. I went over some of the transcript with him, some of the exhibits that we'd put in the record. And uh, at one period, when he said he wanted to come down to Washington to work uh, more full-time, he said he lived in New York, and that he wanted to bring his wife and small child to Washington. I said that I had an apartment that I'd just moved out of, or was about to move out of. I'd be glad to let him use it. I thought this was good public relations for the committee. Here was a man who was writing seriously, I believe, about the committee. Uh, at that time, I had no prospect of, of finding a tenant for an apartment that only had a few more months to go. So I said if he would pay me my rental cost, he and his wife and child could live in the apartment, and I left enough furniture so that they had it as a furnished apartment. You let him use an old car of yours, too. I also lent him an old Ford car I had because about that time, I was acquiring another car. Mm. And it was a car that I had been offered $25 for on a trade-in. It was a car that I had got when it was new, just at the time I had got married in 29. I was sentimentally attached to it, and I didn't want to have it go to a stranger for only $25, and so I gave it to Mr. Chambers eventually. Now, you said Mr. Chambers just this now. This is what his real name was. So George Crosley, Crosley was Whitaker Chambers. Chambers. This is after you finally were allowed to confront him. You had asked for some time. Uh, allowed is an interesting word because it had been announced that there would be a confrontation, public confrontation, on the 25th of August. It didn't occur that way. I got a call from Mr. McDowell of the committee, whom I had known when I appeared as a government official before some other committee of Congress that he was on. He called me from Washington to say he would be in New York. He would like to see me. Uh, would I find time to see him. So I said, certainly. We made an appointment. I told him I would be at, I had two offices, one downtown, about 42nd Street, and one up near Columbia. But I would come down to the downtown office. He called me about the time I expected and said, rather than come to my office, would I come over to the Hotel Commodore where he was staying? And then for the first time, he said, oh, and there will be one or two others with me. I think he mentioned Nixon. <coughs> I smelled something of a rat and said to one of my associates, uh, who was head of the Carnegie Foundation and had offices in the same suite, that uh, this sounded a little peculiar to me. Would he come over with me? I thought I would like to have a friend along. And when I got to Mr. McDowell's room, it was a suite and was set up as a hearing room with members of the committee staff, stenographer. Obviously, we were going to have something like a secret hearing, which they had frequently. It was then promptly announced that I had asked to see Mr. Chambers. I was now going to have the opportunity to confront him. And so instead of a public confrontation a week later, this sudden confrontation was arranged by them. And as I sat there, I suddenly realized, or decided I knew, why this had been done. They had had Harry Dexter White before them a few days before. He was the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, largely responsible for the Bretton Woods Conference and for the entire monetary system which the world has lived under, the Western world, until very recently when there have been changes. White had testified he'd been attacked not only by Miss Bentley, the woman I spoke of before, but also by Chambers. It was another of people Chambers attacked. In the course of that hearing, White 
handed a note up saying that he'd had a heart attack, that his doctor had suggested that the strain would not be good if he testified for more than two hours at a time. I think Parnell Thomas was the chairman of the committee at the time. He was when I appeared. I think he was present then. And Thomas made snide remarks about, oh, I, you sent up this thing saying you suffer from a heart attack. Well, you were just talking about playing handball, and it doesn't sound like a man with a heart attack. And White said with great dignity, I was testifying then about 15 years ago, and then I was quite an active handball player and a rather good one, but I'm, the heart attack is quite recent. Anyway, his request was denied, sort of uh, made fun of, and the very next day, on the way back to his home, he had a heart attack and died within a day or two. News of his death had just come out. I had learned of it that morning before I came from my uptown office to my downtown office. And suddenly, as the confrontation was presented, I put two and two together. They did not wish the headlines of one of their witnesses whom they had bullied and pilloried dying uh, to not to be counteracted by a new headline that they had had me uh, yeah. confront my accuser. And this seemed to me very shoddy. Uh, and so there it was. And that. so they wanted to have Chambers, whom you had apparently remembered now as Crosley. I, I asked for the chance to ask mm -hmm. him some questions. A, a rumpled, fat man, much fatter than Crosley had been when I knew him, sort of ambled into the room, sheepishly, he never looked at me while he sat there. He was introduced as Chambers. He took an oath, as I had already, and I asked for permission to ask him some questions, and in the course of my asking him questions, I can... I'm thinking, as you're, as you're talking now, Mr. Hiss, Alger Hiss, I know the hour's gonna go, we have, about, we have about 15 minutes left, and I'm thinking this is ridiculous. We're just beginning to get to it. Uh, we'll come to a few things I'd like to ask you. The book. The book itself deals with this incredible aspect of the media, of trial by headline, and Chambers, mean to have been invited in various programs, members of the committee. He was. Were you ever invited to meet the press and meet the press? No. You were never. But Chambers was invited. <coughs> yes, though. that's quite true. But you were never invited. If he hadn't been invited, I wouldn't have had the chance to sue him for libel because I had. This is what happened. Challenged him to say, outside of the committee, what he said in the committee. Anything he said before the committee was privileged, as lawyers call it, meaning it wasn't subject to libel. And I had challenged him to say the same thing outside. He then appeared on Meet the Press and said I'd been a communist, and then I brought suit. Yeah. This is, you had never been invited on that program? No, no, I was not invited. And I noticed throughout the book that various members of the committee had been on various programs, too, and headlines quoted. So I'm curious to know what sort of chance you had I suppose you have to explain how the climate. It was 1948. There was an election coming up, too, wasn't it? This was when Truman and Dewey, mm -hmm. and the very close election, when uh, the Chicago Tribune headlined Dewey's election. Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about we're wrong. why was it the choice of you, do you think? Well, I've just said Harry White died. Mm -hmm. uh, there had been an attack 
You mean, why did Chambers pick me? Yeah. Why did the committee pick me? Ooh, both. You. Well, well, they found Chambers. Chambers uh, picked me because he picked five or six others. He yeah. attacked Larry Duggan. Yeah. He attacked a splendid member of, of the... By the way, Larry Duggan is, is someone... He was a diplomat who committed suicide. Larry Duggan was head of the Latin American Division mm-hmm. and a New Dealish, fine member of the State Department. Edmund Club, who was, was attacked by Chambers, and as a result hounded out of the Foreign Service, has just been honored by the Foreign Service yeah. Association just a couple of weeks ago because uh, we come the back old to China hands We come back to related back aspects, in. don't we? The beginning of McCarthyism That's and then, right. of course, the attack on John Peyton Davies, now Quite honored, right. and on John Stewart Service, now right. honored. And, and back to it all over again, right. don't we? And but uh, you said, why was I picked? Yeah. I think I know why the committee continued, <coughs> though Harry White would have been, had he lived, an equally good one, uh, I was sort of a compendium, a combination of lots of prejudices. This was a period when those who fomented the Cold War had to attack Roosevelt, they had to attack the United Nations, they had to attack Yalta. Most of them were against the New Deal at all times. Roosevelt was too big to shoot at. I'd been a junior in Roosevelt's time and a New Dealer. I'd been at San Francisco and believed in the United Nations. Uh, so that I'd been at Yalta. So I was a nice combination of, or as I put it, a compendium of hostilities and prejudices. Yeah. I had a lot going for me. Yeah. Had to pick Obviously, there pocket. you were. And there was the climate. And there was a young congressman from Whittier, California, Richard Nixon, who was perhaps the most persistent of all the members of the committee concerning you, was he not? Yes. Uh, you want me to comment on that? I think, well, uh, some will say, uh, since the Hiss case, and we'll speak of your conviction in a moment and the circumstances, uh, made Nixon popular, you are being given credit in some quarters for being the man most responsible, Richard Nixon being President of the United States. Do you assume all credit for that? Well, first place, I think it's inaccurate. I think pretty clearly Lyndon Johnson and uh, the Vietnamese War and Lyndon Johnson's loss of, of public support because of the war. I thought you'd say... If it hadn't been, A, for the assassination of President Kennedy, which brought Johnson to power, if it hadn't been for uh, Johnson's loss of, of public support, and then, if it hadn't been, I suspect, for Robert Kennedy's assassination, when he might have been the standard uh, bearer. I thought you might have said, Mr. Hiss, that you can't share all, you can't take all the credit. Some must be shared by Helen Gahagan Douglas and Jerry Voris, too. He, <laughs> certainly, he certainly rose uh, to prominence by the same kind of tactics applied to three people associated with the New Deal. Jerry Voris, who'd been a New Deal congressman, Helen Gahagan Douglas, who'd been... But the fact is, you insisted, here's the point, for a man who would be guilty of all the things of which Whitaker Chambers, nay, uh, George uh, Crosley, uh, I was thinking of Orwell, too, I don't know why. This is Orwellian in nature yes, the whole is. time. Was uh, you insisted on suing and pursuing the case, and uh, you, you, you had great faith, didn't you? I had faith not only in the American public, which is why I called the book in the Court of Public Opinion, but the American judicial system. Once I 
concluded that the committee was not being objective and had political axes to grind and had a fixed point of view before they started and were merely trying to support it. I was then very eager to get into court as a young lawyer, one trained in the law. I thought the place to get such things thrashed out most clearly would be in a court of law. I couldn't believe that any jury that saw Chambers and me and had to choose between us, say I was yeah. eager to get into court. And I learned a great deal that I'd never been a trial lawyer. What did you learn? I learned that in times of hysteria, even the best institutions, and I think our law and our courts are excellent, in times of hysteria, even those become warped and twisted and, and prejudiced. I was thinking of the grand jury, the jury that was eight to four against you one time when you were absolutely astonished. That's quite true. Assumed and, and you pursued the case further. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and then after the actual conviction, the jury was out for a number of days, and I, I could see as they came back that some of them really had agreed to a conviction against their convictions. One woman was crying. One man we knew had been ill. I then was sure that on appeal it would be upset. So, and um, since then I have continued the same confidence that the whole thing will be reversed when all the facts are brought yeah. out, and we have continued, yeah. my lawyers and I, to follow it ever since. I'm thinking of also some of the people who were terrified, those who was, came out that some of a year acquittal, a perjury was the case yes. here, Now it was reversed. Instead of you being <laughs> the accuser of Chambers, you found yourself the defendant. Yes, and it was really and very ironic. And these people were, felt terrified, those who had few, the minority voted for your acquittal, and the papers, of course, were quite astonishing. Yes, they were pilloried. Yeah. Uh, I met some years ago the chairman of the, the foreman of the first jury, a very interesting man who'd been head of the General Motors Export Corporation. He had voted for me. And we were crossing Park Avenue. We met, hadn't seen since the trial, stopped and spoke to each other. And he said I'd caused him a good deal of trouble. He said it rather pleasantly and ironically. And he said, but he would do it all over again. Uh, but he was attacked, he had threatening phone yeah. calls, he had nasty letters, he was attacked on the floor of Congress. The judge, the judge who had presided over the first trial, Judge Kaufman, was attacked. Mm -hmm. Resolutions were introduced mm -hmm. into Congress proposing his impeachment. So the second judge, uh, judge Goddard took care of that pretty well. well. Judge Goddard was a much older man, uh, he was a Republican, I think he'd been appointed by Harding. I think he thought the courts were coming into disrepute with this kind of thing. And I don't think he wanted this yeah. to continue anymore. The wind-up was you, they found you guilty, and you served how many years? In I was given a five-year sentence, mm -hmm. and I had to serve every day that one has to under the statute. I didn't get parole. I didn't get meritorious good time, etc. I served actually 44 months, yeah. which by statute is the maximum if you don't spit in the warden's yeah. eye or something I like know that you, Alger Hiss, who had been secretary to I suggest the listeners uh, read the book itself and read the testimony and judge for yourself who was telling the truth. Uh, I'm thinking about the library. You had, a, you had a special volume of the papers of Wendell Holmes that Chambers said knew your library didn't even mention. Right. A Queen Anne mirror that all your right. guests comment about didn't even mention. But aside from all this, uh, the people who worked as servants, the use of them, 
the typewriter, the woodstock, the pumpkin papers to be read. I have just two questions to ask you. One was, if I were writing a play about this, say, in the matter of J. Robert Oppenheimer in the matter of Alger Hiss, I'm thinking of something involving human beings. You trusted Corley because you... Crosley. You uh, Crosley, I say Corley. But you trust... You, there he was. You let him have it. Yeah. And someone like young Congressman Nixon or Vail couldn't believe that you could be that open. So don't we deal with two different kinds of people? Those, like you let a guy stay over the house, let him have the car, or use the car, and give him the car, an old one. So there's got to be a catch. There's got to be, if I'm using the phrase, a trick. The fact that you were open possibly may have been your undoing. I think it was more the hysteria of the times. Mm. It certainly has never caused me to change. I still see the people I choose to see. Mm -hmm. I still feel that when people obviously need help and seem deserving of it, that uh, one should help them. Well, the question to ask you, and it's a very obvious one now, Mr. Hiss, Alger Hiss, I know you lived in a rooming house later on, you were flat broke, difficulties of all sorts. Aside from your reputation, your livelihood. Now, if I were Marcel Offal, storing the sorrow and the pity, he asked one of the men, how do you explain your serenity? I ask you, don't you have any deep, deep sense of bitterness? No, I have not learned to like Mr. Chambers anymore uh, with what I've learned about him. Instead of giving me, uh, let's say, more compassion or understanding, I think I understand that he was a very sick man emotionally, and one can't feel bitterness toward a sick person. As far as the political figures, uh, this is the way the political game is played. It w certainly wasn't personal. They didn't know me. Uh, the only one of that committee I'd ever had any contact with before was McDowell, the one I mentioned. So, so it was the question now is a look at you now, seated here. Uh, sense of humor is still there. <laughs> How? You retained it. I, I don't know. But you have. Survival is there. How you retained it, don't know. Thoughts now about us, our society. You heard those young people in the beginning? Yes. Some contemporaries. Thoughts now as, w as we say goodbye for the moment. Well, my thoughts are very affirmative. I lecture a good deal. I work as a salesman, as you know, and that takes a good deal of effort. But my firm are, are very generous in allowing me to take time off. I lecture both here and in England. Two young people about the New Deal, about Yalta, about New Deal foreign policy, about the McCarthy period, and I'm astonished at the involvement, the eagerness, the intellectual curiosity of young people today. And I find much the same spirit of idealism that motivated most of the young people who went down to the New Deal. So you have it was in the interim a period of apathy when young people had no such interest. I have great faith in you. You have faith? Definitely. Alger Hiss is my guest. He can't practice law. He was a very distinguished lawyer. He can't practice law because of having served time. Alger Hiss, the book is in the Court of Public Opinion. Harper Colophon books, it's a paperback. And what's to be said other than if we understand ourselves even better to read the book and know about Mr. Hiss and about others in power out of power and about life I suppose in our society thank you very much thank you Stud I've enjoyed it very much